want you to do this for a second. Look around. I want you to look around. Look at your neighbor. Look behind you. Look at the side of you. Look at all these people. Now listen to me. This is the future of God using this church to inspire a generation. To inspire a generation for change, to bring them to Christ. God is going to use you if you let him. And we're talking about one of my favorite topics this morning, the topic of leadership. I remember when I was uh, very young and I got into my first pastorate and my supervisor kind of leaned over and he goes, Luke, it's all about leadership, leadership, leadership. Will you pray with me? God, I, I just, wow, you're so good, Lord. And I just pray that as we come before you this morning, that we'd remember that you, you want to, you desire to use us to inspire people, to encourage people, to bring people, bring a whole city back to you, God. The topic of leadership is lost on our generation, is lost in our world. It's, it's too slick, it's too fancy. God, I pray that we'd get back to your word and we'd understand what you mean when you talk about leadership and how we as your church can enter into that definition and start living as leaders amongst our cities and our neighborhoods and our work and our God, everywhere, our families. Lord, I pray that you'd use us to start serving one another and serving a world that is lost and hurting and in need of your love, Christ. Yeah, we love you a lot and we just celebrate your triumphal entry into Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday. We pray that in your name, amen. The leadership industry is a $45 billion industry annually with a 35% growth over the past nine years. This is extremely unusual. I, when I started to research and prepare for this, this morning, I began to find research and, and, and information on the leadership economy, if you will, and I thought to myself, well, wow, that's a lot of money. Where is this money being generated? And so after much more research, I found that it's college universities that offer degrees, right, in leadership, leadership management, a whole variety of different leadership aspects. It's, univer- it's gurus that show up to, you know, the, the corporate office, gurus training employees and managers. It's, it's podcasts, it's books, it's consultancies, it's think tanks, it's conferences. And the church in the West has not, um, has also been influenced by this leadership economy, if you will. If you were to walk into any one of the pastor's offices, you'd probably find a handful of books on leadership. You'd find a few in my office as well. And man, that's a lot of money, $45 billion annually. And I have a question for the leadership industry, the economy, if you will. Are we generating $45 billion worth of value? If we're spending $45 billion a year on leadership, these conferences and gurus and think tanks and books and all of that, are we getting $45 billion of value? This obsessed a man named Joseph Cost. This is Joseph Cost. He was the professor of leadership development at the University of San Diego in California. And he was completely enamored with this idea of leadership and what it meant and how it was applied. So he set himself on the task and gave himself the task of reading the entirety of leadership literature from the turn of the century, so from 1900 on. And over the course of his career, he read all of the leadership books over the course of that 90 years. Now, 
what Joseph Kost found in all of his findings was a consistent notion that leadership was nothing more than good management. That was the trend. Leadership equaled good management. Now let me ask you something, church. When Jim Lovell, the astronaut aboard Apollo 13 in the lunar module, stirred the oxygen tanks, created an explosion, which put the astronauts in critical danger, back down in Houston in mission and control, did we need a manager or a leader? This is Gene Krantz. Gene Krantz led the, what he called the white team, given all the white-collared shirts. He led the white team to bring back Apollo 13 safely to Earth despite unimaginable obstacles. The odds were completely against them. How about in 2001 when we were attacked by terrorists in New York? Did we need a commander-in-chief as a manager or did we need a leader? This is George Bush with um, firefighters at Ground Zero, and he is not only inspiring them and interacting with them, but he leads the charge to the counterattack and, of course, leads a nation through grief for a few years. The idea here is that I do not think that we are getting $45 billion worth of value out of the leadership industry. I think that we're getting $45 billion worth of mediocre management. That, that is not, that is not, what God has called you and me into. Nowhere in scripture are we called to be good managers. Nowhere. The only place that's referred to is managing a household. And that's not the same topic. We are not called to be managers in this world. You and I are called to be leaders because there is a hurting, broken world. There is people that if they were to get in a car accident this afternoon and perish, they would not spend eternity with the king in paradise. The urgency behind our mission is unbelievable. And so the $45 billion annually we spend is on management and not leadership. However, there is always a handful of exceptions, right? There's always a handful of exceptions in history, right? Leaders like, leaders like this guy, Martin Luther, Right, 1517, he took a hammer and a nail and nailed the 95 Theses against the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, protesting the indulgences of the Catholic Church. He inspired the Protestant Reformation. God used him for incredible impact. Not only was all of Europe transformed by the Protestant Reformation, but it made its way west, and you and I are beneficiaries of that Reformation now. I mean, we, we are worshiping freely in this church because Largely because of God using Martin Luther in 1517. How about this guy, Meriwether Lewis? He's an exception. Meriwether Lewis led a, a large team of men across an uncharted American West in 1802, tasked by Thomas Jefferson, the third president. This guy was 30 years old. I'm 30 years old. And he led a giant, he's got a cool musket too, by the way. I just noticed that. Anyways, he led an entire team across the uncharted American West. Unimaginable obstacles of terrain and wildlife. He did not manage, he led. Or how about this guy? Ernest Shackleton, British explorer, 1915, led a team who attempted to cross the Antarctic. If you've ever read a book, uh, it's called The Endurance. It's an incredible book. He led a team across the Antarctic. Uh, well, that was his hope. He got his ship, his sailing ship, stuck in the ice on the way there. The ice froze around the ship, and he was stranded, and his team was stranded on the ice for three years. And he did not die, and none of his team died. 
they came out alive three years later. Civilization is pretty incredible. Of course, we all know this guy. We know Martin Luther King very well. He led the, he led the um, civil rights movement in the 60s, tragically assassinated in 68. Of course, we also know Tony Dungy. We all love Tony Dungy, who led the cults to multiple victories despite losing his son in 2005. A couple of common trends. One, they love the Lord, and two, they did not manage. They did not manage. What I think is super, super important is for us to remember that leadership does not manage, it influences. Take that to heart. Understand this. Leadership does not manage, it influences. It influences by serving. Now keep in mind that all of the exceptions that we just spoke about had a team of people that the leader served. What is really, really unique, I think, about the leadership culture here at Mercy Road is we see in and out, uh, week in and week out, month in and month out, a bottoms-up leadership approach. What's so cool is that the staff here does not exist to be served. We exist to serve. The operations team here exists to serve the staff. The staff exists to serve the directional team. The directional team exists to serve the church. We have an upside-down approach to leadership. This is totally contrary to the rest of the world. In corporate America, it's largely the other way around. The employees are subject to the supervisor. Here, we are subject to you. The staff is subject to you. And that's a bottoms-up leadership. Leadership does not manage, it influences. Now, what I want to do is I want to tell you that this is not a new idea by any, by any stretch at all. As a matter of fact, this is the way that Jesus led. This is Jesus' leadership. So Jesus' leadership says, I serve. And it's the perfect Sunday to talk about service because being Palm Sunday and the passage where Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem. So if you would, please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. And we will briefly talk about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. This is so fun because this is, this is such a fun passage because it has a lot of nuance to it. And it's kind of quirky too, especially some of the corners of this passage. So this is Matthew chapter 21. This leadership style is not new. This is Jesus' idea. Let me say a brief prayer before we start. Lord God, we, just, we pray for focus right now. We pray that your spirit would be here. We pray that your spirit would be in us and leading us. I pray that our minds would be refocused on your text. God, we just, we're grateful for what you're doing here in our local church and all the churches across this city. God, I pray that as we celebrate your triumphal entry into Jerusalem, that we can apply some of these really cool ideas from the passage to our lives today. We pray that in your good name, Christ. Amen. This is Verse 1, chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples. Look at that. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them. That's hilarious. What are you doing stealing my donkey? Uh, God needs them. Hello. Like, that's just hysterical to me. And, he's, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of 
a donkey. Now, just before we really dive into the application of this text, I think it's interesting that Jesus chose a donkey as his means of conveyance. He should be riding, riding a cherub. Psalm 1810, right? The cherub, this angelic being with lots of wings. Like at very least, he should be riding a horse who King Solomon bred during King Solomon's day for generals, noble figures. But no, Jesus is like, get me a donkey. Get me like the most stubborn, smelly animal you could possibly find. I'll ride that in Jerusalem. And I'm the king, by the way. I just think that's humorous. And so can you imagine if you were the two disciples? If you were, you were tasked with that meaning of job, like you were the one that had to go and do this, like I have to go get the, I have to go get the donkeys. My goodness. Like, give me a more important job, please. Can I at least supervise the guys who are getting the donkeys? Give me, give me a more responsibility, Jesus. But no, he's like, I need, I need a donkey. Go get them. If they complain, tell them it's for God, and then they'll understand. Sometimes my, my wonderful wife says, Luke, you can kind of be mean to people sometimes. You need to be a little bit more thoughtful with your tone towards people, or they're going to think you don't like them. Let me be as nice to you as I possibly can this morning. Some of us here have never gotten a donkey for Jesus. Right? Some of us here have never, ever gotten a donkey for Jesus because it's beneath us. Because it's too small of a task. Luke, if I don't get credit for it, I don't want to do it. If I don't get the spotlight, count me out. If I don't get some kind of compensation, don't include me. At the root of that, there's pride that God wants to strip away. I want you to understand for a second that Jesus always starts us off with small tasks. Jesus always gives us more after we can handle a little bit. As a matter of fact, it's perfectly clear in the text. This is Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 28 is the Great Commission. That's when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teaching them everything I've commanded you to do. That's a pretty big job promotion. Get me a donkey, go change the world forever. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. He gives them a very small task, but a lot of the times, whether you've been walking with the Lord your whole life, or whether you're brand new to the faith, Jesus will always ask you to get him a donkey. He will always ask you to do something small that you probably won't get credit for. Those disciples' names are not in this passage. We don't know who they were. We don't know. But I can tell you this much. They were faithful. Right? They were, they were faithful. Every, every week we, we come here and the church scattered, gathers and we worship. And it's, it's fantastic to see a, a community come together and, and praise the king. I can't tell you how many volunteers it takes to support a Sunday morning. It takes a lot. And unfortunately, what the Western church has gotten in the habit of doing is going to church rather than being the church. There's a big difference. One is a consumer mentality. One is a giving mentality. One is a service mentality. And I can tell you right now that Jesus is asking you to fetch him a donkey. Maybe, maybe you're so content and so comfortable just coming on Sunday mornings, but like, oh, Lord, don't ask me to hold a door for someone. Don't ask me to fill up coffee. Don't ask me to pile up donuts. I would eat them all. 
Don't ask me to hold babies. They throw up on me every single time. Don't ask me to hand out bulletins and programs. And don't ask me to straighten chairs. It's beneath me. I can tell you right now that it's not. It's not. We've all, we've all been called. We've all been called to fetch Christ a donkey. The other side of that coin is this. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus your whole life and all you've ever done is gotten Jesus a donkey. And you get Jesus a donkey every single week, week in and week out. And although faithful and and, and noble in appearance, Jesus always gives us more. He always gives us more. And it's so comfortable to get the same donkey over and over and over again. I can tell you there's a difference between getting a donkey and executing the Great Commission. God will always give you a little bit. And when you are faithful with that little bit, he will give you much, much more. Look at what he did with the 12 rough dudes that changed the entire history of the world by carrying the gospel across the globe. Many of you in here right now are asleep spiritually because you you want the credit so bad and you're not willing to do small things. I I can tell you that if you're willing to walk into that small thing, God will turn that small thing into a very, very large thing. Some of you in here right now are like, I feel called to plant a church. I just don't know where to start. Start small. I feel called to lead an outpost. I just don't know how to start. Start small. I want to disciple more people. I just don't know who to start. Start with one. There's so many ways that you can start small and be faithful with the small things. But if all you ever do is the small things, you're not being faithful because God's going to give you so much more. The leader simply says this, what can I do for Jesus? Because I will do everything anything for Jesus, no matter how big or how small. Let's pick it up in verse six and see what else happens in this passage. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds then went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Wow. Look at verse six. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. What has Jesus instructed you to do? Not your neighbor, not your friend, not your coworker, not me, you. What has Jesus instructed you to do with your life? It is not pay bills and die. It is so, so much more than that. Has he instructed for you to give more of your time, right? That's a big asset of ours, probably the biggest, your time. Maybe he's calling you to give more. Mercy Kids needs a lot of support on Sunday mornings. Mercy Students needs a lot of support on Sunday nights. Outpost has grown and grown fast. We need a lot of support. These things take time. Has he instructed for you to give more of your talents, your singing, your teaching, your, your leading, leveraging your assets for kingdom purposes, using your talents? Has he instructed for you to give your treasure? Rick Warren, a pastor in California, once said this, if you don't trust God with your money, you don't trust God. I was like, whoa, that slapped me right in the face. 
That makes sense. Okay, I trust God with my money, or at least I'm trying to trust God with my money. Right now, we are in a campaign from the Lost to the Leading campaign where we're trying to raise $50,000 so that we can better connect the 1.6 million people in this city that would otherwise never step foot in a church facility. We're trying to do that by two ways. One, we are trying to uh, buy a church van, like a 15-passenger bus, like we're going to be like a church van, like church. It's going to be cool. We're going to paint it. Okay, and then the second thing is that we're trying to buy cameras and update our online experience because we are reaching so many people online. And people, I just emailed someone this past week who gave her life to Christ online last week. God is going to use anything for his glory. If he wants to use the web, let's let him use the web, amen? So take a look at this video because we are talking a lot about treasure right now. Go ahead and run it. So I'm sitting here with Rob Elder, our online campus pastor, and we're excited to share with you uh, where we're at with the Lost the Leading campaign. Uh, just two weeks ago, we announced we'd like to raise $50,000 to purchase a 15-passenger minibus and uh, to upgrade our online campus. And so I brought Rob in here to just share for just a minute what the need is in our tech department for our, our online campus. Yes, yeah, so the last five years we have really been operating on an initial uh, budget that we have for our equipment and we're just, we've kind of maxed that out and now we're starting to reach lots of people online. We have over 100 people come to the campus already uh, on a weekly basis and we just have a great vision for what we can do uh, in a 30 mile radius here around Mercy Road Church and eventually taking it global. So we're so, ready yeah. to take that forward. Yeah, so we're going to upgrade things from lighting to the switchers, the way the cameras and the tripods and everything that's shooting and capturing what we're doing so that we can really provide the same type of experience that we have here at the church online and make it be something that's really attractive to people that are searching for Christ. So we're going to be able to offer an online experience like we've never been able to do before. And I just want to thank you all for those who have been giving to it. And we really believe that there are hundreds, thousands of people that will be reached online and will give their life to Christ and will attend our services over the course of the lifetime of our church. Be praying as we do that. I'm excited to share with you our $50,000 goal. We're getting close. We already have a $20,000 matching grant from a couple of families and we've uh, raised over $7,000 of that, that match. So we're over halfway to our $50,000 goal which is incredible, awesome. I can't believe it. That's only two weeks in. And so we have until May 7th is our goal to raise those funds. We have a team now yeah. that I just can't believe we have. And this equipment will enable our team and the volunteers they'll raise up to reach all kinds of new people for Christ, uh, genuinely taking them from lost to leading. So pray big that God will raise us the entire funds and we'll be able to purchase this equipment soon. Thanks, back to you. Yeah, amen. That's incredible. Going from lost to leading always means going from lost to serving. Going from lost to leading always means going from lost to giving my time, to giving my talents, to giving my treasure. God did not save us so that we could be in a country club. Like he saved us to go make impact in a city, to go make impact in our world. I want to tell you a little story about my mother. She is an incredible mom. Uh, as a matter of fact, she's here this morning. She doesn't worship here, but she always comes when I preach because, you know, she's a mom, and moms do that. 
but she's like the most hardcore mom ever. She's so fun. I remember when I was a kid, I was jumping off, like doing like cliff jumping in a lake and she was in the boat watching and uh, some person on the shore goes, your son's about to jump off the cliff. And she turns around without a beat and she goes, yeah, because I didn't raise a sissy. <laughs> That's my mom. Anyways, she's incredible. Um, so when I was a kid, I grew up at Broadpool United Methodist Church in Broderpool and uh, she, she was like the choir she was involved in the choir and involved in VBS, and I have all these hysterical memories, mostly awkward from, from those days. And I remember that my mom was very faithful at getting donkeys for Jesus. Was very faithful at getting donkeys for Jesus. Was very content doing the small things. The choir, the VBS, the stuff that probably would not get a whole lot of credit, spotlight. She just didn't get it. And that's okay. We all kind of grew up. We actually transitioned to a different church for a, a number of reasons. But I tell you the story because this, because in 2001, God gave her a vision for something more. She gave, God gave her a vision to reach her generation using her passions, her passion for the outdoors and outdoor travel. And so she started a ministry called TNT. Not the explosives, although that is cool. It's an acronym for True North Travelers. Here's a picture of my mom and a, a crew of hers. What my mother does is she takes women out into the wilderness backpacking and road biking and cross-country skiing and canoe trips. And what she does is she ministers to her generation. She'll spend hours throughout the month preparing lessons for these getaways. And she is a student of her craft, both God's word and just the outdoor world altogether. My mom was given donkeys, and then my mom was asked to give more in a different kind of capacity. You're going to have a similar story. You're going to have a similar story, but you must be faithful with the donkeys. When we distill it all down, when we distill everything down to the very purest form of this, it's about faithfulness. Whether you are being called to get donkeys for the first time, the small things, the things you're not going to get credit for, or you've been getting donkeys your entire life and God's called you now to do something much bigger with different kinds of impact. Reach more people and you've got a dream and a vision and some of you are called to heal marriages and some of you are called to start outposts and some of you are called to disciple more intentionally and some of you are called to write books and be on podcasts and be on the radio and some of you are called to do these things. Some of you are called to plant churches. And whether you are on one side of the coin or the other, getting a donkey for the first time or ready to move to the other side of the globe to reach unreached people groups, it's all about being faithful. And the roadblock that gets in the way of God's instruction on your life and our faithfulness in carrying it out is always fear. Is always fear. It's the fear of rejection. It's the fear of failure. It's the fear of the financial commitment it will take. It's the fear of the time it will require. It's fear. Church, if you don't hear anything else out of my mouth this morning, hear this. Choose faithfulness over fear. Choose faithfulness over fear. And this is why. Because it is a timeless Bible approved formula every time. Abel chose faithfulness over fear when he offered God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain did. 
Noah chose faithfulness over fear when he built the ark, being warned by God that there was a flood coming. Abraham chose faithfulness over fear when he entered in and possessed a land that he had, he had no idea where he was going, but he was faithful regardless. His wife, Sarah, chose faithfulness over fear when she believed and actually conceived a child late in her life. Abraham chose faithfulness over fear again when God tested his faith and said, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac on the altar, but instead... The last second, God provides a ram. Moses chose faithfulness over fear when he was not scared of the Pharaoh and led the Israelites out of Egypt. And the Israelites finally chose faithfulness over fear when they walked through the Red Sea and turned around and saw the ocean collapse over their Egyptian enemies. And Jesus. Jesus chose faithfulness over fear when he willingly went to the cross for our sake to redeem a broken and lost world to the Father. You want to be a servant leader? Choose faithfulness over fear. You want to influence your generation? Choose faithfulness over fear. You want to be a part of bringing a whole city back to God? Choose faithfulness over fear. If you want to live boldly and love deeply, choose faithfulness over fear. Pray with me. God, we are grateful that you are faithful to us. Even in our inability to remain faithful to you, let your faithfulness compel ours. God, whether you give us the task of fetching you some donkeys or you give us the task of planting churches on the other side of the world, God, let our passion lead to your call. Father, I pray earnestly from the bottom of my heart, any idle person in this room this morning is inspired to action this week because of how good and how true and how pure and how lovely your love and pursuit of our lives is. And so, Lord, we are going to be presented with donkeys this week. I know it. And we're going to be presented with more. I pray that we would choose faithfulness over fear. We love you. We praise you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.